today on Ag News Daily. You know, what do I think as far as whether the market is going up? I actually do, do think that we could see uh, the market trend even higher. Could we get November beans at 1050 before they off, go off the board? It's possible. I Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Monday going? My Monday is going pretty well. I had an eye doctor appointment this morning, uh, but spent some time with some family over the weekend. So that's always good. We've got a lot of September birthdays in my family. So we did kind of a birthday celebration over the weekend. So it's always good to see my family. And yeah, that's about it. That's all I got for updates. Ashton, what about you? Well, I really didn't have much going on myself this weekend. Texas Tech did play their football game, and I believe we beat Houston Baptist. I can't even remember. But when I was watching at dinner, I went and had dinner with one of my roommates, and we watched the game. But we were winning at that point in time. But who's to say that we didn't lose by then? Texas Tech is kind of notorious for not being too great at football, even though we produced Patrick Mahomes, who now plays for <laughs> Chiefs. And so I think that's like one good thing that came out of Texas Tech football. Yeah, I'm a big, uh, big Chiefs fan and big Patrick Mahomes fan. So I think a lot of Texas Tech fans probably are too. Yeah, it's it's still pretty big, even though he left Tech, uh, I don't even know how long ago now, a, a year or three? two. I was gonna say two or three. Yeah, I think two or three. But Either way, it was nice to, you know, get get a bite to eat and watch the football game. It was still pretty weird, of course, because we are still in a global pandemic. So 25% of capacity was allowed into the football stadium. And so I know a couple of my friends who went, but, but yeah. Yeah, but I think the key is that we are starting to get to some sort of normalcy here. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to make of this piece of news quite yet. Maybe an indication that we are continuing to move to some sort of state of normalcy, especially when it comes to our trade relationships. But it has been announced that U.S. Ambassador to China, Terry Branstead, is stepping down from his role as U.S. Representative to China. And so the reason this is such an interesting piece of news, I think, uh, is a few reasons. You know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but former governor of Iowa, Terry Branstad, is supposed to be pretty good buddies with the Chinese president, President Xi Jinping. And so, you know, it kind of seems like a natural fit for him to step in as the ambassador to China because of that longstanding relationship. With this now, this poses the question, two questions, I suppose, in my mind about why he's stepping out, or maybe speculations, I should say, about, in my opinion, why he would be stepping down. One of which is that trade relationships with China are going really great. They're exporting, or excuse me, importing rather, a lot of U.S. commodities, and things are looking peachy keen over there, and maybe Ambassador Brand said is needed more so stateside. The other alternative, I suppose, that has ran across my mind is that perhaps things are in disarray between the U.S. and China, and there's nothing left for Ambassador Branstead to do. And in that case, he's stepping down because he doesn't see any more potential negotiations or strength between the U.S.-China relationship. So I'm hoping it's the first scenario, and it honestly could be neither of those two scenarios. But those were the first two that really came to my mind when I heard that news on the radio this morning. Yeah, I guess we will continue to see if they release a statement on why that that is happening and how it might affect the U.S.'s relationship with China. But until then, I have some feel-good news, I would say, for you this Monday. The 
Okanogan County Fair in Washington State was supposed to be underway this week, but the fairgrounds have now opened up their gates to help those in need due to the wildfires sweeping across the state. Though the COVID-19 pandemic had caused the fair to be canceled, the fair is now partnered with American Red Cross, the Community Action Council, and the OMAC Community Center to take donations. And for those in need of assistance, the fair has opened up as a space for displaced animals. They've taken donations such as feed and other livestock care goods, and they are even providing transportation of animals and RV hookups to those who have lost their barns or their their homes to the fires. And if you're a listener in need of help in that region, or if you want to provide assistance, you can find more information on the Okanogan County Fairgrounds Facebook page. And that's O-K-A-N-O-G-A-N. All right. Well, that is some good news there for those folks needing a little bit of relief and help. But I wanted to follow up on a story we've been following here over the past week, dealing with those small refinery exemption waivers. It was speculated that the Trump administration was, in fact, going to deny these waivers for the past couple of years under the renewable fuel standard. Well, we saw on Monday, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said that they are, in fact, denying those waivers and moving forward with the decision President Trump has issued to protect the domestic biofuel production. However, there is a small caveat to this story. I saw it reported at the end of last week that there was, of course, this issue going on, but concurrently, the EPA and officials in the administration were looking at ways to be able to provide essentially financial adjustments for some of those small refineries to offset what they would have gotten under the waivers. So it sounds like on the one hand, these waivers aren't going to be granted, but on the other hand, Now folks are saying that perhaps there's going to be some sort of federal aid granted to these quote-unquote small refiners, which in my opinion just kind of defeats the purpose of denying small refiner waivers in the first place. Um, Another source I was reading even went on to say that they don't know if legally EPA has the authority to grant such aid for small refineries, but they were looking into using some of the COVID money that was allocated from the U.S. or to the USDA to help farmers. And so that's a little confusing to me as well, if they can use money allocated to the USDA to help with this financial recovery. But uh, in my opinion, this just shows that President Trump is trying to play both sides of the issue catering to those folks, you know, farmers in rural America or whatnot that support ethanol. But then on the other hand, if they are in fact doing this behind closed doors, trying to find a way to give some aid to uh, oil folks, then I think they're playing both sides of the issue here. Definitely Delaney. And I actually have some news from the Renewable Fuels Association myself. Well, not exactly the association, but it definitely deals with them. President Trump says he has signed an order allowing filling stations to use 15% ethanol blends in E10 pumps. Trump said the decision will make it easier for fuel retailers to offer E15 and will save the industry hundreds of millions of dollars on pump conversions. The change in policy will still require state approval, and it's not clear if additional EPA rulemaking will be required to implement that change. And the Renewable Fuels Association thanked Trump for his, quote, commitment to removing obstacles to E15. 
Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well. It is a good little uh, bump here for ethanol folks. And I'm guessing that kind of came along in, in partnership, I would say, with the um, small refinery denials. So it's a, a hand-in-hand piece of news, I would say there. But I tell you what, the only other piece of news I have before we chat markets today with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net is an announcement that came out late Friday afternoon dealing with Brazil and the U.S.'s trade agreement or trade relation, I should say, really. And so it appears that as of late Friday night, the U.S. and Brazil have agreed to revive their expired tariff rate quota for an additional 90 days. Now, again, this tariff rate quota will allow some U.S. ethanol to flow into Brazil duty-free. And so that is a good sign here, a step in the right direction. It's basically a stopgap deal that takes effect today and gives the two countries time to negotiate a more permanent deal. But uh, it sounds like this is a politically sensitive issue and could run past the election here in November. So that was one other piece of news I had here. And then I guess to follow up with that as well, talking about Brazil, I was also reading some stuff today that is speculating perhaps Brazil has been buying U.S. soy this year. And uh, Brazil has been selling its soybeans, especially to China, at a record pace. But now analysts are suggesting that perhaps they stepped in too heavily to sell to China and have actually sold too much. They're not going to be able to support their own livestock industry domestically is the speculation here. And so it could be entirely possible, says some folks from the United Soybean Board and the USEC, United Soybean Export Council, that Brazil may have to step in and actually buy from the United States market because they just weren't conscientious enough here and uh, really took advantage of the U.S. and China's delicate situation stepping in to sell soybeans to China. That might have bitten them in the butt, so to speak, and uh, they might be looking to export from the United States. So another story we'll be keeping an eye on moving forward. Absolutely, Delaney. But other than that, I don't have my eye on any other news today. Why don't you say we jump into the markets? Let's do that, Ashton. And jumping into the markets today was certainly a whirlwind of a day after trading up substantially higher, especially in the soybean markets after last Friday's WASDE report. We're going to talk about that here with Matt Bennett in just a little bit. But taking a look first at where the markets had to close today. Starting off here in the September corn contract, losing seven and a half cents to close at 357 and a half. The December up a penny to close at 369 and a half. In the soybean pits, the September contract put on 13 and three quarters cent today to close at 1019 and a quarter. The November up three and a half to close just under $10 at 999 and a half. In the wheat bits, September contract added huge gains today up 14 and three quarters cent at 548 and a half. The December up three and three quarters cent to close at 545 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, the green continues as the October live cattle contract added a dollar thirty-five today to close at one hundred six eighty-seven and a half. The December up a dollar eighty to close at one eleven seventy. In the feeder cattle pits, September contract pushing just above a dollar. Excuse me, pushing just above a one forty at one forty-one fifty. The October added two hundred two to close at one forty-two sixty. Lean hogs could not sustain their rallies from last week as the October live. 
As the October lean hog contract closed $1.95 lower at $64.62, the December shedding $2.42 at $63.57 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures, the October contract losing a penny today to close at 1920. The November down four pennies in the day to close at 1765. Without further ado, let's kick it off to my conversation with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday conversation, chatting today with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, who is actually out in the field harvesting as we speak today. Matt, how are things looking there in your neck of the woods? Very good, actually. You know, we, we just started here uh, Sunday and Monday trying to get out in the field and get some wet corn. There's some incentives out there. Uh, some of the processors in my part of the world are running a little shy you know, on corn at the present time, and they're wanting to get the, you know, the system primed, if you will. And so uh, there's some uh, really, really uh, attractive drying deals that we're taking advantage of. And, you know, we're just out here trying to uh, get a handle on what this is going to look like. We're pretty happy with the way the crop looks so far. Uh, Certainly uh, um, yields are, uh, you know, as good or better than what we thought they were going to be. And and so uh, we're pretty happy with the way things have started. Absolutely. And and speaking of getting a handle on things, we saw the USDA start to get a handle on maybe what we're going to see this year for a corn and soybean crop. Matt, when you look at last Friday's report, what do you make of it moving forward? Well, whenever you first looked at the report, you know, to be honest, I, I guess I was I was thinking that the market would really struggle to rally. Uh, you know, and the reason for that is that, you know, uh, bean yields came in actually above the average trade guess. Uh, you know, your carryout levels were essentially right at the average trade guess. Uh, corn yield uh, certainly wasn't a bullish surprise by any means. Uh, 2.5 on the carryout was, was above where the trade was looking. So in, in all reality, you, you had to think that coming into the report, uh, you would need really bullish numbers to keep the bullish momentum going, but uh, we did not get really bullish numbers. No, they weren't wildly bearish by any means. Yeah, you're limiting the crop sizes, smaller than what we talked about in August. Um, But the bottom line is uh, the funds have shown a penchant to really want to buy commodities here lately, and it didn't slow them down one bit. So we went into the weekend, you know, with some uh, some momentum. And so start out this week, uh, you know, a little more of a draft market. And I, I think that's something to expect. Uh, but by all means, that report on Friday could have been taken a lot different than it was. And I'm sure glad that, uh, you know, we got a little bit of positive momentum out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when you look at the soybean side of things, there seems to be a lot of positive momentum. But looking more so in the September contract, Matt, why are we seeing such a difference in spreads here between the September and the November contracts? Yeah, basically, you know, September going off the board is going off the board. and so. You know, it's a big reason why you're seeing a, a big difference there. But, uh, you know, with September going off the board, everyone's been bidding off the November for a while now. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the biggest reason why you're seeing a big difference there. Gotcha. So with uh, with new crop soybean here sitting just under $10 closed today, how much upward momentum do you expect to see? Does soybeans still have room to break out here to the upside? 
Yeah, you know, that's a wonderful question. And that's one that a lot of folks are asking. And, you know, so you got to ask yourself after a dollar thirty, dollar forty run in this bean market, you know, how much more up is there? <laughs> and so, you know, here's the thing. Nobody really knows, first of all. But second of all, as a producer, you know, with my producer hat on, I've got to take a look at a rally like that and, and look at it as a wonderful opportunity, you know, to at least get some sales on the books. I mean, as, as a broker or as a, uh, you know, someone in the consulting business, you know, what do I think as far as whether the market can go on up? I actually do, do think that we could see uh, the market trend even higher. Could we get November beans at 1050 before they go off, go off the board? It's possible. I think that uh, the chance to move into those 10 and above numbers, you know, uh, much above 10, it's probably going to have to maybe get a little bit away from harvest because it's really hard for me to get super friendly uh, heading into what is still going to be, you know, looks like it's going to be a record soybean harvest. I'm not so sure that that uh, bean yield might grow just a little bit. I do think that this is one heck of a big bean crop. Yeah, I have been hearing the same, but when you look at the corn crop side of things, what are you thinking there for numbers? Are you thinking that USDA adjusted those harvested acres down enough to account for some of the damage that's happened? And that's another really good question. Uh, To be honest, uh, you know, we adjusted ours down about 300,000 acres as far as ag markets numbers because, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we just weren't sure. I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do, that, that is a really tough thing to get your head wrapped around. I mean, a storm that size, I mean, and, and you talk about millions of acres being affected, uh, being affected and being wiped out is two different things. And so we know there's a whole host of different things going on there. Uh, but is 500,000 enough? I'd say it's probably enough for the time being. I think that, uh, you know, from the producers I've talked to, from the people in, in the industry I've talked to, they feel like that's probably a good, fair number, uh, at least for now. I think the overriding number is going to be what's total production going to be like, you know, out of the state of Iowa. What kind of losses are we looking like? Because there's no doubt that, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of loss, uh, you know, in some places significantly more than others. And so I, I think the USDA probably came in with a pretty fair estimate, not only on Iowa production, but on uh, U.S. production. I think moving forward, be very interesting to see how those numbers change. It would not surprise me, you know, if this uh, corn production number didn't inch up just a little bit from here on forward, uh, just like the soybean number, uh, you know. Yeah, we, we, we definitely closed the year off in a dry fashion, but at the same time, a lot of times when you're talking about big yields, uh, you know, the, the old adage that big yields get bigger, uh, that certainly could be something that happens this year once again. Yeah, that is a definitely a, a big possibility. I've been hearing from some farmers who have, like yourself, started harvesting and gotten some better than expected yields. But Matt, switching tracks to talk the wheat market. They also had a pretty explosive move here in the September front month contract today. What's going on there? Are they just rallying off of news from the soybean market? Well, I think it's, uh, again, you're going taking these contracts into delivery, you know, and Sometimes whenever you have that, uh, obviously, if someone's on the wrong side of the market, uh, you know, there's some pretty ruthless players in that game. But, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, with this wheat market, it's, it's really hard for me whenever I see a strong move to the upside, especially in, the, for instance, a July wheat type market. Uh, I have a hard time not wanting to sell it, uh, you know, given the world stock situation the way that it is. Uh, I, I just can't get super friendly wheat. In fact, 
I've been saying here for the last uh, few days that I felt like it's a pretty good place to hedge off some wheat, take some risk off the table. But as far as the September contracts, uh, really for corn, beans, and wheat right now, I, I guess there's not a whole lot really to take away from them, especially as they're going into delivery like they are. And Matt, are you friendly live or feeder cattle at this point? Well, we've had a little bit of a nice bounce back, you know, and so uh, there for a long time, I was certainly friendly cattle. I'm sure that we talked about it on uh, on uh, the other show that I've done with you. And so, you know, uh, right now I'm not, though. We've got a bounce. I feel good about the price uh, that we're sitting at. I don't see December cattle getting back into the one team situation uh, uh, anytime soon. I think you've got to work through some of these supplies, and I think if you do, uh, and you get farther on out, maybe just like the February contract, you could see some more excitement. But as you as you can tell, there's pretty healthy carry from decent February. So I'm not the only one that thinks that. So, you know, are we going to get a rally out of it even better off the prices we already see? Eh, I'm not totally sure. But if I was going to get excited about cattle prices, it'd be probably a little bit farther out rather than closer by. And Matt, when you turn our attention here to talking the lean hog markets on October, on December, on pretty much all of the contracts moving forward here, there's quite a few gaps uh, where the charts have opened and uh, closed higher, it looks like, for the most part here. But they've had a nice little tick up over the past couple of days, couple of weeks. What's going to keep this lean hog market moving higher? You know, whenever you see some of the problems out of the EU and you you hear that China's not going to be importing off of, for instance, Germany, I mean, you know, you've got to think that U.S. Port ex- exports could be awfully impressive moving forward. And I, and I, I have to think that, uh, you know, you've, you've got to at least lend credence to that. Now, yes, you've gapped higher more than once. Uh, this is definitely an exciting market to be in of late. Uh, but at the same time, it's really tough to get to buying hogs, you know, 10 to $15 off of, you know, where they were just trading a few days ago. So I don't know that I'm wildly friendly right now, uh, but certainly I think that hogs have some support. So I wouldn't say I'm bearish either. I think we're probably looking at a nice price for the time frame. I know we backed off there just a little bit uh, there today, but, uh, you know, it's probably warranted whenever you've seen a couple of limit moves and and so much bullish enthusiasm last week. Absolutely. Absolutely, Matt. Before I let you go, if folks have questions they want to chat with you a little bit more about the markets, how can they do that? Really the best way, you know, if they want to find me on Twitter, that's one. But just going to agmarket.net, I mean, they can find me or Brian, Bill, Jim, the guys on my team. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few guys that's got a lot of experience in the in the commodity world and, and farming, you name it. So agmarket.net is a really good place to find that information and then the technology that we offer as well as the research. Fantastic. Well, Matt, thanks for joining again today to Chat Markets. Hope uh, your harvest goes smoothly this year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Sounds like he's getting things rolling. He's thinking he's going to be done here pretty pretty quickly. So this year is going to be a lot less painful, at least for folks in his part of Illinois, than it was in 2019. But for other folks in parts of Illinois and all across the country, 2020 might be a drawn-out harvest. 
So while you're in the tractor trying to get things done, make sure you're tuning into the Ag News Daily Podcast to catch up on the latest news and information so you don't miss a beat during harvest this fall. We'll stick with you in the tractor. What do you say, Ashton? Absolutely, Delaney. And you can always find us on social media at Ag News Daily. But with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.